Amen. Good morning. So glad you're here. Thanks for being with us. We're honored that you've chosen to come and worship with us. What a privilege we have to be with you. Uh, whether you're here, or whether you're online, you're watching online, listen, you may have not chosen to come back to campus yet. It's, we wanted you to know that we support you. We love you. We know that at a certain point, uh, you'll feel like it's safe enough for you to do that, and, and we'll be excited to be together again when God gives us that opportunity. But I just love seeing you. It's such a good opportunity to be together and just, uh, just to see each other's faces encourage one another. I'm going to talk a little bit about why we need that a little bit today. Um, my name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City, and we're just glad you're here. If you're new to us, if you're visiting from out of town or whatever the case may be, hi. Thanks for being here. Uh, it's a privilege to have you. Appreciate you hanging with us today. Hey, um, I got a question for you, and you got to be honest, all right, as we get into our message this morning. We've been studying through the book of Acts, and I got this question for you. You got to be honest, and I, trust me, I'm how many of you have fallen asleep in church? Let's see those hands. Paul. Uh, it's hard to say. I'm going to know. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I've definitely fallen asleep in church. In fact, last week, I'm preaching. I'm, I'm going through the message. It's getting towards the end, and I kind of look over towards my crew over here, and I see my youngest, and uh, she's, she's, she's out. But she's not only out, but she's like, slowly fading to the right. I'm thinking, I'm just going to turn away in case the crash happens over here. I'm not sure what's going down. You know, I was thinking about falling asleep in church, and I couldn't help but think about uh, growing up, my grandparents used to sit right over here uh, about where Kevin is, somewhere in there on, in a pew, and occasionally I would sit with them in church, uh, which is a good, it's a good experience to sit with your grandparents. Uh, Mammy and Papa, that was what I called them. I love them very much. Um, but if you fell asleep sitting next to my Mammy, there wasn't like this gentle grandmotherly, honey. There wasn't a slight sweet whisper in your ear. She would pinch the fire out of your leg. So I'm really surprised over the years there weren't more obscenities coming from this side of the auditorium out of nowhere at times because, man, you'd wake up and then you would try your best not to go back to sleep because she'd pinch the fire out of your leg. So don't fall asleep if you do. Somebody pinch them, all right? That's the plan today. Uh, Listen, don't feel bad if you've fallen asleep, because even the best preachers of all time have had people fall asleep on them. In fact, the Apostle Paul had somebody fall asleep in his message, and that's the story that we're going to get to look at today. I love the book of Acts, uh, because Luke, he, he gives us these stories, he gives us these little snapshots of real life, you know, uh, of moments that we can identify with and connect to. And this is one of those stories today in Acts chapter 20. Verse 7 through 12. If you have your Bibles, turn over there with me. If you don't, we got, the, got it on the screen for you. Let's read this if we can. Uh, chapter 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, uh, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms and said, uh, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Pray with me this morning as we talk about this text. 
Father, thank you for the privilege to be together with the family, the body of Christ. Lord, thank you. It's just a blessing to see faces and to talk, to communicate, to check in, to worship together, to sing, to be in your presence, be changed by your word. God, I pray that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to all truth in this text. God, that I would get out of your way, that I would uh, decrease, Lord, that you would increase, and that you would have your way in our lives. We would have the courage to obey whatever it is you call us to. God, I pray that you would awaken in us the things that, that we need to see changed. Bring them to light. Use your Holy Spirit to convict us and draw us to yourself, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So in our text last week, we talked about a mission residency. Remember the guys that were, uh, uh, basically Paul wanted, he had an encouraging heart. He wanted to be an encourager. And so he was gonna go to Jerusalem to encourage the church in Jerusalem. It was a poor church, sort of the mother church. They were, they were poor, they'd gone through a famine, they'd gone through persecution. So he wanted to take an offering from all the churches that he had started around uh, the Aegean Sea. And so as he sends word that he's going to take an offering, he also says in 1 Corinthians 16, hey, if you want to send a representative, you can. And that representative can bring the money that you're sending to the church in Jerusalem and can come with me and we'll go to Jerusalem. And so last week we talked about all these different guys, seven different men from these different churches, and then also Luke, so eight, uh, and Paul, which would be now it's a group of nine at least that we know about. And they're traveling together. And Luke says last week in the text that this group of guys is going to meet Luke and Paul in the city of Troas, right? And he says at the, the end of the text that they're going to be in this place for seven days. So my estimation is that they probably got there on a Monday. So they're hanging out on Monday, and they're going to leave the following Monday morning. But what we're looking at today in chapter 20 is Sunday. The text says it's the first day of the week. Uh, so the, their week is coming to an end, but something's interesting about Paul, and we're going to see this in a couple of weeks when he spends some time, some time with the elders of the Ephesian church in a little town called Miletus, but Paul's, what he's doing is changing a little bit. His tone is changing a little bit. He's beginning to say goodbye. And Luke even, the focus of Acts from here on out for the rest of the book is really about the rest of Paul's ministry and life. And Luke, um, Paul begins to basically tell the people that when he meets with them that my time is ending, right? This is sort of, you won't see me again. And so that sort of tone is taking place even in this situation as well. So you can imagine this, this opportunity to spend time with, with uh, Paul, but also knowing we may not be with him again, so you want to soak up every moment if you can. His goodbyes are becoming final farewells instead. Hey, have you ever spent time with friends Maybe you hadn't seen them for five or 10 years or longer. Time goes by like that, doesn't it? But if you can get together with some friends and you're gonna spend some quality time over dinner, you're gonna enjoy dinner, you're laughing, you catch right back up to the way you were from years before, you're spending time together, you're enjoying one another, and then maybe it moves from the dining room table into the den and you're, you're hanging out on the couch and people are sitting on the floor laughing and you know what I'm talking about? That really great fellowship and how you lose track of time. You ever done that? You're with friends and all of a sudden you're just like, man, I, I'm not even paying attention. Sometimes you go, oh my gosh, we the babysitter, right? Or, oh my gosh, we've got to get home. You lose track of time. That's what we see kind of taking place here uh, at the church of Troas. They begin to sort of lose time because of all that's going on. 
also add to that the fact that you might never see Paul again. <laughs> so there's just this great connection, great food, great fellowship, and oh, by the way, I may never see Paul again. And so that would just add to the, the gravity and the weight of uh, this time together. So there's three things I want to show you this morning in the message, all right? You with me? Stay awake. I don't want you to fall out a window and bad things happen, all right? So here's what happened. The first thing I want you to see in this text, again, if you, this is one of those texts and stories that if you read over it, you go, oh, that's kind of cute. And then you, you may not feel like you get a whole lot out of it. Let's look a little deeper, can we? The first thing we see is this picture of the early church. This is a beautiful little snapshot of the early church. Uh, they've been here for a week, and now they're going to gather for worship. The way we know that is Luke says that they're going to gather together and break bread, which is kind of the code word for communion. They're going to do communion together, and that's basically meaning they're going to do church together. And what's interesting about this is Luke says that they're going to do church together, the breaking of bread, on the first day of the week. So here we are, Sunday morning, right? We're meeting it's the first day of the week. We are following in the tradition of the church in Troas. The church has just continued to follow the church, the early church. Why did the church meet on Sunday morning? You know, a lot of Christians were Jews, and, and a lot of what their worship consisted of was Saturdays. And so they would rest and worship on Saturdays. But when Jesus died and was resurrected on Sunday, the early church said, that's when we need to do worship. We need to do worship on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the same day that Jesus was resurrected from death, so that we can celebrate his resurrection together. We'll celebrate his life and death through communion, and we'll celebrate his resurrection on the first day of the week in the church together, breaking bread. And so this is the first example we see in Scripture of the early church worshiping on Sunday. Kind of cool, right? So this is kind of where we begin to follow the pattern, at least through Scripture, of the church worshiping on a Sunday. I don't know how many times I've heard people ask the question, hey, when did the Sabbath change from Saturday to Sunday? Do you, do you know when it changed? It didn't. <laughs> it didn't change. The Sabbath is still Saturday and, and Sunday is the Lord's Day. So if you want a Sabbath, go for it. On Sunday, Saturday, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, and do we have to worship on Sunday? Is it like in the word that we're supposed to worship on Sunday? No, it's not. You can worship any and every day of the week. In fact, I would highly suggest that. But the church that you're used to traditionally worships on Sunday following the example of these early believers uh, as they've worshiped and celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, which happened on the first day of the week as well. Here's, this, here's the next thing I want you to see. They're worshiping in someone's private home. This is somebody's home. And there's something about worshiping in someone's home that's different in a, than a building. See, the church of Jesus didn't worship in buildings like this for over 300 years. They worshiped in homes. And the thing about a home is, you're going to get to know me more if you come to my home. Right? If we spend time together, you, we eat together, we're gonna, you're going to know me more. If I come to your home, I'm going to get to know you more. I'm looking at your pictures. Right? I'm checking out your old mullet. You know? I'm checking out your old Camaro. I'm getting to know all these things about you. You get to know about me. Now, listen, I love our home, and I love my wife. I love the way she cares for our home and the way she's decorated our home, and I love our home. But here's the deal. Our home is a very real home. <laughs> it's a real home. We have two dogs, and depending upon the moment or the day, you might see hair blowing on the, on the floors like the Wild West, you know, deals, just kind of going down. It happens. It's real. 
sometimes we leave dishes in the sink after dinner and we don't get them that night. We get them the next day maybe or the next day. Do you know what I mean? We're real home. We're real people. And you, we have closets that we do not want you to see. Things bad could happen. You open the door, bad things could happen to you. I mean, so here's the deal. You get to know us when you come to our home. Good, bad, and ugly. I get to know you in the same way. There's something about being the body of Christ in relationship deep enough that we can enjoy each other in our homes. And honestly, I think what God may be moving us even as a church is to spend more time in each other's homes because that's where real relationship takes place, not just in a building. And of course, the early church didn't do that for over 300 years. Uh, I mentioned this, they, they break bread together. So this is communion, it's a reference to communion to the Lord's Supper, and it is a major aspect of worship in the early church. Yeah, there's gonna be somebody talking, yeah, they're gonna talk maybe some scripture, they're gonna pray, but the breaking of bread, it is the climax of the service. The telling of the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection through communion is gonna be the main focus, and that's the reason it's identified by they met together and they were gonna break bread. That's, they're gonna, that's church for them, right? Uh, they did it every week, by the way, which, you know, Lori and I have done church. We did it for about 10 years, probably, where at church we did communion every week, and I loved it. It never got old. It never got rote. It never got meaningless. It always had depth and uh, brokenness and beauty. And maybe one day we'll worship every week with communion. Right now we do it once a month. Uh, but the early church did it every single week. They did it because they wanted to remind themselves, like I said, of the life and death of Jesus. And here they're doing it on the first day of the, of the uh, week, which reminds them that Jesus has defeated death. We sang about it in so many of the songs this morning. Death is defeated, right? Praise God. That's the reason we meet on a Sunday, to celebrate that, that Christ has defeated death. Now, also, this church in this story has just celebrated uh, Passover and Resurrection Sunday. This is um, in April. Uh, this is maybe a week or 10 days after uh, that time period. The, the text tells us that, that Luke and Paul uh, celebrated uh, the Passover, maybe with the Philippian church, and then they take the boat over to meet these guys in Troas. So they've just celebrated this season. So the idea of Jesus' uh, death and resurrection is, is on their hearts. It wasn't just a little piece of bread and a little drink of wine, though, for communion. What we see in this text in the early church is that they had what they would call a love feast. Literally, an agape feast, which means celebrating our love, uh, our God's love for us and, and God's love in us for one another. And so they would have a party. And can you imagine this party? I mean, just think about it. If we heard that um, the Apostle Paul was coming to worship with us and he's bringing eight or ten of his best missionary students and we're gonna put on a party and we're gonna celebrate and do worship and he's gonna teach. And Can you imagine the spread we would lay out for the Apostle Paul? It would be no joke, I promise. It would be significant. It would be wonderful and it would be a party that we celebrated and had a blast with. And it would have even more weight to it knowing that the Apostle Paul may never come through here again. So they would study scripture, they would have conversations. And often in this story, Paul gets the blame sort of for being the long-winded preacher that puts people to sleep 
but I, I, as I look deeper into this, I want you to know Luke uses a couple of Greek words that don't explain that. They don't say that. They say something different, and it changes the story. Luke uses a word in the Greek, dialogomai, which means to imply a discussion with questions and answers. That's different, isn't it? When you think of this, this text and you even read it, it seems like there's a lot of Paul preaching, a lot of speaking, but Luke's saying there's discussion with question and answers. At another spot in this text, he uses the Greek word homileo, meaning that it was a long, earnest talk with conversation. So this isn't just a guy like me up here preaching and speaking, and you just sit there and watch and go, okay, I get it or I don't get it or I fall asleep. No, there's conversation going on. There's dialogue. It's not a monologue, just one person to you. It's a dialogue between each other. Paul's saying, do you understand? Do you get it? Does anybody have any questions? Can I clarify anything? Paul's heart is that these people go deeper in relationship with Jesus, and he's using every, every means that he can to do that. So this is the last day that, that Paul, his team, and the believers have together. So they've been together for a week, and on Monday morning, Paul's leaving. His team, they're leaving on a boat. And so he knows he's got to leave. And so he only has a few hours, only just a few hours between that evening and the next morning. And so he's speaking with them about Jesus. And you could just, as you read this text over and over, you get a sense of passionate uh, desire for these people to know the Lord and to know what it means to live life and walk life with Jesus. You just, get, you just get his heart, you sense that. And he speaks till midnight. So this is what this would probably look like, right? People would work all day, and then at uh, sundown, they would come together for a meeting. So it's not like they started at 10.30 like we did, and now it's midnight. That's, it's long enough as it is in the story, but they started probably at least at, mid, at um, 6 or 6.30, 7 o'clock. Normally they would have a meal, Paul's speaking, and they're talking and engaging, and now all of a sudden before you know it, they go, oh my gosh, it's midnight. And as they're sitting there having uh, this time at midnight, you begin to see that Paul has got some priorities. His priorities are not necessarily uh, manners, making sure he doesn't overstay his welcome. That's not his priority, right? His priority is not sleep. His priority is establishing and encouraging believers in Jesus to go deeper in him. And that's exactly what he's going to do. And he loses track. They lose track of time. But Paul is on a mission Paul knows exactly what he's doing. But right in the middle of the message, right in the middle of the message, something horrible happens. Can you imagine, I mean, even as we worship today, can you imagine somebody walking in and screaming that one of our children had died? Would that sort of change the mode of the meeting? (laughs) We look back at this story and we kind of giggle because of the long-winded preacher. We giggle for a a couple different reasons. It's sort of funny, but I promise you in that moment, there was no humor. In that moment, there was no laughter. It would have, the vacuum of silence and shock would have filled the room. And people would have been terrified because of what happened. Acts 20, verse 8, there are many lamps in the upper room where we had gathered. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him And taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Again, this is a warm April spring night in the Mediterranean. So this is, you know, temperatures are rising. By the way, heat rises, right? 
there on the third floor of this person's house. Luke gives us this little description that's important to know him, to know what's going on. He says there's many lamps. He's talking about oil lamps. Have you ever seen an oil lamp burn? It burns with a dark smoke and quite a bit of smoke. So if they have many lamps in a low ceiling, third floor room where the heat is rising, the smoke is filling the room, <laughs> it's, it's warm, and there's a long-winded preacher, and there's a long discussion, this young man is doing his best to stay awake. And what does he do? He moves towards a window where there's fresh air. So he's, he's trying to get fresh air. He's trying to stay awake. He's fighting sleep, no question. Uh, but one of the terms that Luke uses we have an understanding that this child is somewhere between 8 and 14. So he's a, he's a young man, and he's wrestling to stay, awake, uh, to stay awake. He's doing everything he can. I don't know about you, but I, I have this problem, too, <laughs> to stay awake. I'm, you know, I'm turned 48 next week, and I don't know what happened. At about 45, I started to fall asleep all the time, right? Uh, in fact, the only wreck I've ever had, I fell asleep at the, at the wheel back in college. The only wreck I've ever had, I fell asleep. Well, so it may be my wife, I don't know if it's sweet or hateful, I'm not sure, but she takes pictures of me sometimes in the goofiest positions when I'm falling asleep. You can ask her for those if you want. But uh, what's funny is one of the times I fall asleep the most is on a, and this is not that safe, but on a Sunday afternoon, we've had lunch with some South City folks or family, and we're on our way home. We live about 25 minutes away from here. About five minutes to our home is right when it's hitting me the worst. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm battling. And I got the air cranked. I got the music up. My wife knows this about me, and she's literally planned for this. And she's put a water bottle. I don't know if it's in your purse or where you have this water bottle. But all of a sudden, I'll be, she says my face begins to melt. And I, I start, gets long. My face gets long. And all of a sudden, psh, she sprays me with water, like a dog, basically. And, uh, but I don't mind it, because it wakes me up, and we keep going safely, Right? So I, I know the struggle of trying to stay awake. I know the struggle of, of battling sleep. And poor Eutychus, can you imagine being the, the kid in the Bible with your name connected to falling asleep in Paul's message? Let's talk to him about it in heaven. I think it'll be funny. He's got an amazing story. But he's fighting sleep. And he not only falls asleep, he falls out of a window of a third-story home to the ground. And using the words of the American songwriting poet, John Mayer, gravity was working against him. You know what I mean? Smack. Hit the ground. He's dead. Luke says he's taken up dead. And some people go, well, was he really dead? I mean, was he really dead or was he just sort of out? Well, who's writing this letter? Dr. Luke, right? And I think he would probably know. In fact, he's probably the one that ran down there first, knowing I'm a doctor, and he's probably the one checking vitals, making sure this kid's okay, but he's not. He is taken up dead. So this is fully dead, not kind of dead, fully dead. So they rush down to the street. The meeting stops. Paul rushes over to the child. And the ESV says that he takes him up in his arms. Other translations say that he stretches out over the child, which is interesting. And he says his life is still in him. And if you know the story of Elijah... In 1 Kings, I think it's 17. Yeah, 1 Kings 17. Elijah's staying with a widow. Remember that story? And they're, they're, it's just an amazing story. But the, the boy gets sick and, and dies. And the widow's freaking out. Oh, my son, you, Lord, you brought this man into my home, and now my child is dead. Elijah takes the boy, and he 
stretches out over the boy three separate times. And the boy comes back to life. And look, look what she says to Elijah. She says, now I know you're a man of God and the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. It strengthened her faith. So can you imagine at this moment, street level, third floor, if there was anybody on the fence about Jesus, not anymore. If there was anybody wondering if this stuff Paul was talking about had any effect or any power, now they knew. They watched a miracle happen, and not just any miracle, the resurrection of a life. I mean, this is after midnight. Maybe people are still standing outside. And what's the big commotion? Who's hanging out at the Smith's house? They're, I see the window. They're hanging. I'm going to sit here and listen from here. And then they see the, all the action. Who knows how that went down? But I guarantee you all of Troas knew about Eutychus falling asleep in a window, dying on the street, and this man named Paul resurrecting his life. Everybody would have known about that. Everybody. So Paul stretches out, not unlike Elijah, on this child and says his life is still, on, is still in him and, and the boy is raised to life. Now here's another kind of funny moment. And, I'll, and this is my third point for you. I want to remind you that this was a beautiful reminder of the resurrection of Jesus. Not only had they just celebrated the season of resurrection, not only are they meeting on the first day of the week, which is the same day Jesus was resurrected, now they've got this beautiful, unbelievable picture of this child who had fallen out dead and is now raised to life. Now, if that doesn't speak that Jesus has defeated death, I don't know what does, right? This is why we meet on this day. This is what we just celebrated, and now we see the very power of God do this in the life of this child. So Paul, he's been preaching, horrible thing happens, raises his child to life, and then Paul goes, who's hungry? Literally. Look what he says, Acts 20, verse 11 and 12. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. <laughs> I mean, right after he raises this child to life, and when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, right? It's funny. But here's the thing. The enemy tried to stop this moment of discipleship. He had tried to stop this educational aspect of, of taking people deeper in their relationship with Jesus. It didn't even phase Paul. Paul was so used to miracles. He was so used to, to the extravagant work of the Holy Spirit that he goes down, raises this child full of faith and goes, let's eat. And get back to where we were. I think I was on point number two. Right? That's Paul. He's focused on his mission. He's focused on what he's doing. Why he's there. Why is he there? To strengthen believers. To establish believers in the faith. And he's not going to let death even come between him and his mission to take people deeper into Jesus. So Paul goes right back up into fellowship, into conversation. I guarantee you the crowd is more energized now than ever before. Who cares that it's one in the morning? He just raised that kid from death. I mean, can you imagine? So Paul's talking. Paul's making disciples. He's answering questions. He's strengthening the faith of these believers. And he talks the rest of the night until daybreak. He has to leave at daybreak. So Paul leaves at daybreak, no sleep, no rest for the weary. 
Now here's what I find interesting in this story and at this point. Paul knew that he only had a few hours left with these believers. He, he only had a certain amount of time. So when he got there at sundown, ready to start this meeting, in his mind he knows that he has no choice but to leave at a certain point the next morning. See, what's funny is we often laugh at this story. We often giggle. And we all, often, I mean, I've done this, maybe you have too, often, often put Paul in this category of this uh, sort of not compassionate, long-winded uh, a preacher who just wants to make sure that his message gets out. But if we do that, we miss the heart of Paul. This is not about him arrogantly carrying on in his theology. This is about him sacrificially giving of himself all that he is and all that he has. Is that a different way to look at it? No, you have to listen to me. And people may fall out, it doesn't matter. You have to listen. That's not what Paul's doing. He's in a conversation. What else can I answer for you? What else can I explain? Who's got a question? Paul's giving everything he is. I don't know about you, but I kind of value my sleep. I do. I value my Sunday afternoon naps. We, we love, I mean, the, the pandemic has been kind of awesome for sleeping in a little bit here and there, you know. I value sleep, but the reality is how much of, of my comfort is directing my, my mission instead of my mission directing my comfort. See, Paul was not worried about sleep. He wasn't worried about comfort. He, he knew there was a back end to, to his time there, and he wanted to give everything he could until he had to leave. It doesn't show his arrogant desire to preach. It shows his caring, sacrificial willingness to encourage, to serve. And as I looked at this this week, I kept thinking, Lord, do we have that kind of commitment and passion for people to know Christ and to know what life is like in Christ? Do we care about people enough to get outside of our comfort zone, to get outside of uh, the first world luxuries that we have every moment of every day. See, how many of us put God in this box and we say, hey, church is this little time on Sunday, and church may be a city group. Here, I got an hour and a half for city group. I got an hour and a half for church. Is that good, God? In my whole week, is that good? No, it's not good. God wants every second of every minute of every hour of your life, not just a box here or a box there. And how many times we sense this, this comfort Maybe we don't. Maybe we're blind to it. I remember I, I took a trip to India. I was doing some ministry in India several years ago. And we had a day off. We've been doing ministry in these little villages. And my heart is going out to these children or these people, and I'm spending time, and it's just beautiful. Well, one day they, they told us we were going to have a day of rest in, in this little apartment. So I just hung out, and I wasn't resting. My heart was broken. I wept all day because I realized how comfortable my life was in America. If I went for 30 minutes without AC, oh my gosh. If I missed a meal, oh my, oh. What? How often comfort is an idol in our lives and we let that direct who we are and who we're gonna be and the time we're gonna spend instead of the mission that we're on. Paul had a mission to strengthen to develop, to encourage, make disciples, and nothing was going to keep him from it, not even the death of this child. 
and he gives all of himself to do it. I wanna close this morning, but I want us to ask, what does this story mean to us? What does it mean for us? Well, a couple of things. I think it's important that we have in this story a picture of the early church. So my first challenge to you as a result of kind of looking at the early church in this story is, what do your relationships look like? Are your relationships with other believers, are they deep? Are you spending time in their homes? Are you connected to a city group? Are you walking life with people? Are you sharing your brokenness? Are you sharing your fears? Are you sharing your concerns? Are you being honest about where you are in life? Why not? We're just gonna play church? We're just gonna fit God in a box? He won't fit in our box. We gotta say, God, here's my life, and I'm a mess, and I need help from your people. See, the beauty of the church is it's vertical and it's horizontal. It's vertical in that, God, this is our relationship with Jesus, how he's changing us from who we are to who he wants us to be. It's a vertical changing. But it's also horizontal because we change as a result of being in life with each other. Do you have real relationships that are walking life with people? Are you a lone ranger? I got this. I really don't need people. That's not true. God did not design your heart that way. It's not his desire or his will for any believer to try and walk alone. You need people. They meet on a Sunday. They, they eat a meal together. When you eat a meal, you're sharing life. This is a life-giving thing, the meal, right? We're sharing life and we're sharing eternal life as we share the story of Jesus in communion. What a beautiful thing that they do together in this love feast. They're, they're not worried about a time frame. The priority is fellowship and discipleship. Now, the city group leaders are going, yeah, but you've talked about boundaries. Yeah, there's boundaries. We have boundaries to care for ourselves, and we want to, you know, we can't every night have our kids be going to sleep at 2 a.m. because we're, you know, whatever. I understand there are boundaries in our lives, but sometimes there are moments that the Holy Spirit is moving, and we need to place him first. We need, to, we need to be sensitive to what he's doing in that conversation. And we need to let him move, maybe even as Paul did. We see people engaged in a conversation. When's the last time you had an honest conversation about theology, about God, about his existence, about how he loves us, about what in the world is going on in our world? and Where is he? What is he doing? When's the last time you had one of those conversations with somebody? And you didn't go, well, I think, because it doesn't matter what you think or I think. It only matters what God thinks and what he says in his word. And we encourage one another by what he said in his word. When's the last time that conversation happened? We see them welcome in somebody's private home, and we see God at work in their midst. I think it's not an accident that God's shown us a little snapshot of the early church and the beauty of what that means. Friends, I am dissatisfied with the church. I'm dissatisfied with the church and what we've created it to be. When it is just a service, when it is just a guy speaking, when it is not people connecting life on life, walking life together, doing life together, growing in discipleship, knowing him more, I'm dissatisfied with the church. Our example is not that. 
Our example is life on life. Our example is challenging one another. Our example is James 5, 16. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. And how much of our churches, we walk in and we go, fine, and you? You don't know my life and I'm not sharing it. That's not the heart of God for his family. We have to change. We have to be willing to become who God wants us to be as a family of families, as his true church. Here's the second thing I want us to look at before we go. Paul had priorities, didn't he? His priority was to take people deeper in Jesus. What does it mean to live for Christ? And I'm going to stay up all night. I'm not trying to impose myself upon you. I'm going to sacrifice my rest, my sleep. I'm going to sacrifice everything I am to give you more of myself to answer any question you have. What, what can I do for you? When, when is the last time that was our attitude? Instead of, hey, uh, I finished work at five, probably need to go, right? We're so self-centered. We're so schedule-oriented. We're so comfortable. May the spirit of the living God disrupt our comfort for the ministry of Jesus to people. That we focus on taking people deeper in Jesus. That we don't waste an opportunity. How many times has the Holy Spirit spoken to your heart and, and you sensed him saying, say something here, or say something over there, or maybe make a point here and you didn't do it? All of us have felt that and know Christ, I'm sure. And later you go, ah, I wish I'd have said something. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is moving and he moves your heart to speak or to be present or to stand up, do it. Because he's not just working in you, he's working on the other end of the line, I promise you. Don't be afraid. Let the Holy Spirit move you and direct your thoughts and your, and your conversation to make Jesus known and help people know him more. This is the main thing I want to say to you this morning before we go. Listen, Paul chose the better thing, didn't he? I mean, Paul could have been like, hey, I've been with these guys all week. These, I'm just getting to know these guys better, and, and we're tired. We got, we got to catch a boat in the morning, or like sun up. So probably going to cut it off short. That's what I would do. Not Paul. That's not what Paul did. Paul said, what do you need? How can I serve you? I'll, I'll keep answering questions. Yeah, as long as you guys have questions, I'll answer it as long as I can until I got to go. Changes the story, doesn't it? And it challenges us about our concern for people. Do we love people enough to just be available? Do we love people enough just to be present? Hey, how can I help? Can we serve you? Is there anything we can do? Paul chose the better thing. I'll ask you this couple of questions here. What choice are you placing above your relationship with Jesus? Any choices you're making right now that you're going, no, that's more important to me than Jesus? It's an addiction, it's some television shows, it's I don't know what it is in your life that you're going, yeah, I'll take that, not Christ. Or let me ask it this way about the church, because that's a vertical question. Let me ask a horizontal question. What choices are you making above your loyalty to one another as, body, as the body of Christ? 
I, I was speaking to one of our folks a while back. We're talking about COVID-19 and the difficulty. He said, he said, can I just be honest? I was like, of course. He goes, it's, I think it's just made me lazy. It's just, it's the easiest excuse there is. It's the lowest hanging fruit to go, church, uh, COVID-19. I'm just on this COVID-19. I won't go. It's the easiest excuse not to join online. Well, it's, we're busy. We'll catch it later. But it's not just receiving something here. It's giving something this way. What choices are you making? What lesser choices are being made over Christ and over his body? We need each other. This is not a time to separate from one another. This is a time to be together, encouraging one another. Choose the better thing. Don't get distracted in your ministry. Don't get distracted in what God has called you to. <laughs> I, just, I love the fact that Paul raises his kid to life and he's like, who's got the sandwiches? Right? I mean, he's not distracted. He's moving on with the mission that he has. What has derailed you and the mission that God has given you? What is it? Confidence? Sin? Lack of community? Money? What is it? Because death didn't keep Paul from his mission. Something's keeping you from yours. What, what is it? Choose the better thing. Don't get distracted from the mission. And I, I'm gonna close with this. I love the final sentence of the text. It says, they took the youth away alive and they were not a little comforted. <laughs> Luke, in this beautiful way of wrapping up this story, right? The kid, remember the kid that fell out of the window? Yeah, they took him away alive. He was fine. And then the Yoda speak, the way I call it, Yoda speak, he speaks sort of backwards, and they were not a little comforted. That's Luke's way of saying, they were overjoyed. They couldn't believe it. Their son had life, they watched him die, and now he's alive. Friends, listen to me. How many of us will leave this place today going, God, you've taken me from death to life, and I'm not a little comforted by it. I'm a lot comforted by it. I'm so comforted by the fact that you've given me life. My hands are in the sky to worship you. My heart is full of commitment to you, God, to make you known because you've taken me from death to life. And some of you may sit in this building today and you're still in a place of death because you've never made Jesus your Savior. You've never chosen him. You don't know him. You've never prayed to him to save you. Let today be the day that God takes you from death to life, because I promise it won't be a little bit of comfort. It'll be, it'll be everything. It'll be everything. You know, I, I, we're doing our best to comply with the CDC. We're doing everything we can. We're cleaning really well. We're wearing masks as we come in and we leave. We're, we're distancing, we're, we're, we're doing all that we can. But can I tell you something I'm not going to do? I'm not going to be afraid. No, I'm not going to be afraid. You know why? Hebrews 9.27 says this. It's appointed to a man once to die. You know what that means? It means every one of us has by our name an appointment of death. We're all going to die at some point. And maybe by your name it says heart attack or by your name it says old age or car wreck or COVID-19. 
What I'm saying is it doesn't matter. I'm not going to be afraid. God knows the time and the moment he's going to take my life, and I'm immortal until he does. He has a plan. I will not be afraid. Some of us have been struggling with fear. Some of us have let it just cripple us. Friends, can I tell you, it's appointed to death once. That appointment's already made. So we trust the Lord. We do what we can. We're diligent. We're safe. We do all that we can to protect ourselves and protect other people because I believe that's loving our neighbor well. But I will not be afraid because Christ has given me life. He has raised me from death off of the depth of the street and the miry clay. And he has given me life in Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Friend, can I just ask you if you're here this morning or if you're watching online, do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your savior and friend? As your master and Lord? Do you know him? Just an acquaintance? Where do you stand with Christ? I just want to ask this question this morning. If you feel in your heart that you don't know Christ, that you've never made a choice to serve and follow him, I want to pray for you. I don't want to call you out. I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you and pray that God would help you and meet you right here where you are. So if that's you, if you'd say, hey, listen, I want to know Jesus. I want to make him my Lord. Would you pray for me? Just slip up your hand real quick and back down. I don't know if I've ever asked him to save me. Thank you. I don't know if I've ever asked him to save me. I want, to, I want him to save me. I want him to change my life. I'm tired of trying to walk this life on my own. I need him. Would you pray for me? I'm not gonna call you out. I just wanna pray for you. I'm the only one looking. Thank you. Anyone else? Anybody else? You may be watching from home, and I encourage you. I can't see you, but I promise you, Jesus can. Raise your hand. You may be sitting alone in the dark. Raise your hand if you don't know him and say, Lord, I need you. See my hand and see my heart and see my need for Christ and save me. I want you to be able to walk out of here not a little comforted. If you said today and you raised your hand and said, I don't know if I'm saved, I don't know. I'd love to talk to you about it and I, we're gonna sing a song and I'm gonna be down front here. I'll put my mask on and if you have questions, I'd love to try and answer those questions or pray with you. I told you I wasn't gonna call you out. I wasn't gonna uh, bring attention to you. I wanna pray for you and I'm going to. But if you wanna know some answers to maybe what you're dealing with and if I can help you, come talk to me in this time as we sing or find me after either one. Some of the rest of you are saying, Lord, I've, I've chosen other things. I've not made uh, the best choice. <laughs> and I need you to help me. I need you to change me. Help me to grow deeper in you, Jesus. That's what this time is for. We're going to sing a song. And we're going to give an opportunity to, to say, Lord, help me know you more, love you more, serve you more. Forgive me, God. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you bring dead people to life through the grace and mercy of Jesus. 
God, I'm alive, I'm alive. And it's not because I've done a thing, God, it's because you have loved me so well that you, in your mercy, have forgiven me. And you've given me purpose in my soul. And Lord, if one person watching this or in this place today feels they don't have that purpose, feels they don't have you, Lord, feels they don't know you, would you give them the courage to come out of their seat down to this altar? Would you give them the courage to pray to you right where they are from home? Lord, just to pray, God, would you save me, change me? I I need you to forgive me. I repent. I don't want to be the same. I want you to, to change my life forever. God, would you move in this place? And for Christians, Lord, that are praying right now, saying, Lord, help me to choose the better way. Help me to do the better thing in my life to know you more. Help me to get outside of my comfort bubble and give all that I am to serve you and love people. Lead them, Lord, and comfort them and encourage them in their faith right now as we worship you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.